Good morning. It is very good that I have the opportunity this morning to come to worship with you and to preach the word of God to you. Uh, before we go on, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come together before you to hear your word. Lord, may your spirit open our hearts. May you help me to speak clearly. And may your spirit speak to every one of us directly, with power, that your word come into our heart mightily and transform our life. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now look back the process that we came to Christ. For some of us, there was a time, a moment, that radical change occurred. But for some of you, maybe it is a gradual process. You were born in a Christian family, and you came to church, and slowly, you realize that you were in Christ. But whichever occasion, I believe there were a few persons, a few special persons in our life that influenced us so much and helped us to come, to come before Christ. Now for me personally, there were a few such persons. When my wife Helen and I were both working, and uh, we, we don't go to church uh, at that time. And one time, I was visiting my family in China, and Helen was by herself in the U.S. It's 2004, um, before the Independence Day, uh, July the 4th, one of Helen's colleagues, uh, who was a Christian, and uh, she called Helen and said that there is a Chinese church near where you live. Uh, she does not go to that church, but she said there is a Chinese church near where you live. And uh, this coming Sunday is July the 4th, uh, and uh, you are by yourself here. Why don't you, you know, uh, go to the church with me? Uh, I will go to your city and uh, we go to that church together. And uh, if I were in the U.S., we probably will not go. And uh, we, we were busy, you know, uh, uh, busy working and then on weekends we will be busy playing, having fun. But since Helen was by her, all by herself and it is a special Sunday, she said, you know, I will go and see what it looks in the church. And maybe you know also get uh, to know a little bit about the Western culture. So she went. 
And she did not understand much about the preaching that day. But somehow she felt there's something special in the church. And uh, she went back the following Friday because the, uh, every Friday there is a Sikh group at the church. And she saw that on the bulletin. No one invited her. And she saw that on the bulletin. And she went there all by herself. And she went back on Sunday again also. And that was the beginning of our spiritual journey. When I returned to, uh, from China to U.S., uh, Helen actually told me that she registered for a uh, gospel uh, conference a uh, hundred miles away. Uh, it is a beautiful place. So we went together, and there she received Jesus Christ as her Savior and the Lord. And afterwards, I also started to go to church together with Helen and started to read the Bible. I also went to that Friday uh, Sikh group. I met many loving uh, Christians over there. When I had so many challenging questions about the Bible, they answered me with such patience and love. And they also occasionally invite Helen and I uh, to go to their home for uh, dinner and then go to the uh, uh, Sikh group afterwards. About uh, 11 months ago, I also became a Christian. I received the Lord Jesus into my life. And uh, that was my experience. There were a few such special persons that were used by God to lead us to the Lord. And I believe there are a few such persons in your life too that influenced your life and brought you to Christ. Now, as I was thinking about them, I was wondering, where does their burden come from? The burden to share the gospel. And when we share the gospel, where does their burden come from? Now, today, we are going to look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And here, Paul tells us where his burden for gospel comes from. We look uh, back uh, a couple of verses, uh, looking at verse 14 and uh, 15, and then to 16 and 17. Paul says that I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. This obligated, it also means I'm a debtor, both to Greeks and non-Greeks both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul says here that he feels he's a debtor. He owes to everyone to preach the gospel. And he says he's so eager to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome. And then, verse 16 and 17, Paul gives the reason why he feels he's a debtor why he is so eager to preach the gospel. In the beginning of verse 16, there is a word for that was not translated by 
TNIV, but the new NIV that's published in 2011 does have that word uh, in the translation. So Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul is obligated to preach the gospel. He is so eager to preach the gospel because he is not ashamed of the gospel. Why he is not ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. And why? Gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So here we see there are three uh, because or four explain the previous uh, verse. And we are going to look at that in detail. First, Paul is so eager to preach the gospel. He has a burden to preach the gospel because he is not ashamed of the gospel. We could say this is a negative way to say that he is proud of the gospel. That he glories in gospel. That's true. He is proud of the gospel. But that's probably not all what Paul means. Paul says that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Also implies there are probably reasons that people could be ashamed of the gospel. And Paul here says that he is not ashamed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 to verse 23, Paul says that Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. To the Jews, a Messiah that died on the cross, that's hard to imagine, hard to accept. And it is a stumbling block. And for the Greeks, Preaching someone that died on the cross and then risen again from death. That's something foolish. When Paul was preaching that uh, in uh, Athens, people laughed at him. Cross is a stumbling block to people who does not know God. And there are many reasons to be ashamed of the gospel. But Paul says that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Now today, we may also have many reasons or many challenges that could make us to be ashamed of the gospel. I think especially for young people here, when you are at school, when you go to universities, those respected professors may tell you that today we believe in science. And the science has shown that the gospel is outdated. It's 2,000 years old. And it's already outdated. And this may make you feel shy of the gospel. 
may make you feel shy to acknowledge that you are a Christian. Your fellow students may look at you as something, someone who is naive. We do have a lot of challenges in today's world. And if you come from a background that's not from Christian family, like many of our Chinese family have some traditional religions, and when you become a Christian, your family members may feel or may regard you as betraying their family heritage, betraying their family tradition. You may get opposed because of your faith. There are many other situations that may cause us to be shy or even to be ashamed of the gospel. But here, Paul tells us that he is not ashamed of the gospel. And next we will learn why he feels that he is not ashamed of the gospel. He says, because the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Now the power of God first means that the gospel has great power. Gospel has great power. And Paul has experienced that power. Next, it means that that power comes from God. It's power of God. Power comes from God. Gospel is a power, not by the way we preach, by the person who proclaims the gospel. Gospel has a power. Their power comes from God. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Now, bring salvation to everyone who believes. We think of creation for and salvation. When God first created us, God created us in glory. But ever since the original fall, sin came into us. We all are enslaved by sin. We have sinful nature. And every one of us sins. And Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says that the rest of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness, godlessness and the wickedness of human beings. And because of our sin, we can come under that status that we are under God's rest. However, because of the gospel, because of the salvation, Romans 5, 9 says, Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? So first of all, God's salvation means that we are delivered from God's wrath, from God's judgment. That's one aspect of salvation. But that's not all. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And 
gospel saves us. And Romans 8.30 says, And those he predestined, he was called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. We lost the glory when we fell. But God saves us and transforms our life and restores the glory to our life. I want, to see you, want you to see a picture. When you look at these flowers, your first reaction may be, wow, that's beautiful. Yes, it is beautiful. However, when God first created us, human beings, who are even more beautiful than the flowers, when God created all other things, God sees it and says it is good. But after God created human beings, He looks at all the things He made and He sees that it is very good. God made human beings as a crown of the creation. We are more beautiful. We have more glory than anything else. But because of the fall, we lost their beauty. We lost their glory. But the gospel, with its power, is going to restore the glory to us. So God's salvation is not only that delivers us from God's judgment and causes us a righteous one. He also gives us new life. And He is going to transform our life and to restore the glory in us. And that's the power of God. And next Paul says that it brings salvation to everyone who believes. Here we say, see that first it's to everyone. Gospel is to everyone. It's not just to us English-speaking Chinese or Cantonese-speaking Chinese. It's also to Mandarin-speaking Chinese. But not only to Chinese, it's also to Canadians, to Indians, to Africans, and to Muslims. The gospel is for everyone, everyone. And that's what Paul says here. But not to everyone, regardless, but it is to everyone who is willing to receive the gospel. To everyone who believes. Whoever believes in the gospel, whoever accepts Jesus Christ as his or her Savior and the Lord, He is saved. And that's the power of the gospel. Now why gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes? Paul next says that because in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. Now here the word righteousness of God is a very loaded word. People have written lots of articles and books about this word. The righteousness of God has at least two aspects of the meaning. First, the righteousness of God means that it is righteousness 
that we receive from God. It is a righteousness that comes from God. But second, there's another uh, aspect of meaning. So righteousness in God is also God's saving activity. Let's look at Psalm 98, uh, verse 2. It says, The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. Here, the righteousness is parallel to God's salvation. God's righteousness is parallel to God's salvation. Another verse, Isaiah 46, 13. I'm bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away. And my salvation will not be delayed. And again, righteousness, salvation is in parallel. God's righteousness means also that He's saving His people. God's saving of His people. That's God's righteousness. So God's, uh, the righteousness of God here means that God's saving people from the sin, from the slavery of sin, from God's wrath. And we receive a righteous status from God. And we receive righteousness from God. And uh, Paul then says that this righteousness is by faith from first to last. Or literally, uh, it means that righteous, that is from faith to faith. The phrase from faith to faith, the most, most likely uh, meaning is that it emphasizes this righteousness is entirely by faith. Just as the TNIV translates, it's, from, it's by faith from first to last. It's by faith and only by faith. The righteousness by faith is more uh, detailed described in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 25. It says, But now, upon the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that comes by Jesus Christ. God presents Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. Christ has complete this salvation and we receive by faith. When we believe, we receive their righteousness and that is the righteousness by faith. Now here's the meaning of faith. First, faith is to believe and trust in God. And faith, of Christian faith specifically, is to believe and trust in what God has done in Jesus Christ. We believe Him and we trust in Him. That He has already accomplished the salvation and He will bring us from death to life. But true faith in Jesus is inseparable from repentance. 
It means that I realize that I'm a sinner. I repent and turn to God. Because God is holy and I am a sinner. Without that repentance and turning to God, it's impossible for me to be reconciled with God. In Mark 1, verse 14 to 15, Jesus said, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Here, repent and believe the gospel is closely connected together. And that's also key to experience the power of the gospel. In order to experience the power of the gospel, we have to come to face our sins. And we have to come to a true repentance. Oftentimes, we do not experience so much of God's power in the gospel because of our shallow faith. We do not seriously deal with our sins. We do not really turn to God. To experience the power of God also requires that we fully believe and trust in God. And we commit our life to God. With obedience to God. Obedience to gospel. So in summary, the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Therefore, we are not ashamed of the gospel. On the contrary, we glory in the gospel. And we are eager to share the gospel. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Therefore, we are not ashamed of the gospel. On the contrary, we are proud of the gospel. And we glory in the gospel. And we are eager to share the gospel. Experiencing and knowing that the gospel is the power of God is the key here for us to have this strong desire to preach the gospel. And I believe at some point in our life, we have all experienced that power. Especially when the, at the time we turn from sin to God. The Holy Spirit works in our life, convicts us, and turns us to God. And in our Christian life, I also believe that you have experienced such power. When think of gospel as a power of God, at VCBC, I always think of those brothers at the Breakthrough Life Transformation Center at Pastor Lee's breakthrough. You know, people who are addicted uh, to drugs. It's so difficult for them to get away from drugs. Many people made the decisions that they want to turn, but they are not able. But at breakthrough, we have witnessed so many lives change. The gospel released them from the enslavement of their drug addiction. And they are able to overcome their temptation. And their life is freed 
their life is transformed. I also think of that our church should also be a breakthrough life transformation center because all of us need a breakthrough in our life. All of us need life transformation. We want us to be transformed by Christ, to be more like Him. Personally, I have also experienced that power. God changed my direction of life. God made me to see what's the true meaning of life. And God also helps me to overcome my sinful habits, characters. To give one example, before I became Christian, it was very difficult for me to acknowledge that I was wrong and to apologize. Helen and I, sometimes we will argue about some things and sometimes she will feel hurt. And she would like me to acknowledge that I was wrong and I, I, she wanted me to apologize to her. But at one point I told her that in my life I have rarely acknowledged that I was wrong. It's very difficult for me to apologize. When we argue, if I stop talking, that means I acknowledge that I'm wrong. But please don't push me to you know, acknowledge verbally and to apologize. And you, you, you are laughing and think such a person is ridiculous. But it was me. That was how I uh, you know, do at that time. But after I come to know Lord Jesus, the Lord helped me to realize that I am a sinner. And it is not shameful to acknowledge that I have sinned or I did something wrong. Actually, it is a must to acknowledge that I did wrong, acknowledge my sin before the Lord can truly help me to change. And to admit that I was wrong is not a, uh, something done by a coward. To admit that I was wrong actually is brave. It, it, it shows courage. And nowadays, God helps me and it makes me easier that when I realize that I'm wrong, I admit it and I ask for forgiveness. And that was a lesson I learned and that was a change that God made in my life. And we all want to experience more of the power of God, the power of the gospel in our lives. And I would exhort you that to face our things seriously and to turn to God. And in difficulties, in challenges, trust in God fully. 
and commit our life to Him, that we may experience more of the power of God. And when we experience that power in our life, we'll be more eager to share the gospel to those around us. Because we have experienced their power. And we want others, those we love, to experience their power also. To see that they are delivered from sin, delivered from God's wrath. To see that their life also be transformed by God. There was a person who has that eagerness to share the gospel because he knows the power of the gospel. That person was John Harper. I think most of us uh, know the story of Titanic, especially uh, uh, about um, less than 20 years ago, about the famous movie of uh, Titanic. And then many of us probably watched it. So tragic tragic event occurred in 1912, about 100 years ago, on the day of April 14. This great, beautiful uh, steamship was sailing across an, the icy ocean. That night, the ship hit an iceberg, and it started to sink. There was panic on the ship. There were only 20 lifeboats. Even not enough to hold uh, one-third of the passengers. And at that time, Christian values were still prevailing in the culture. And that night, the men showed their courage. And they let the woman and the child to go into those lifeboats first. And many families said goodbye to each other that night. And the captain asked the band to play music to keep up the spirit. The band was playing popular music at the beginning, but later on it started to play hymns. And we saw that in the movie as well. And on that board, there was the evangelist, John Harper. He was going to Chicago to do ministry there with his six-year-old daughter. So he put his daughter into the lifeboat and said goodbye to his daughter. And then he was running around the ship, warning everyone of the coming danger and pleading them to come to Christ for the last chance to be saved. At the end, he had to jump into the icy water. And he climbed to a piece of wreckage. And he was still sharing the gospel to other people. Four years later, there was a young man who stood up in a meeting, did the following testimony. He said, that night, I was on Titanic. And when I was um, holding onto a wreckage and floating in the icy ocean, John Harper, on his, holding onto his wreckage, 
was brought by the wave beside me. And he asked me, Are you saved, man? And I told him, No, I'm not. And he said, Believe on the, on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And then the wave brought him away. But interesting, he said, after a little while, he was brought back beside me again. And he asked me, are you saved now? I said, no. I cannot honestly say that I'm saved. And he said, believe on Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And soon after, he went down. And then he said, That lonely night, with two miles of water beneath me, I believed. I was John Harper's last convert. That's the story of John Harper. That he knows the power of the gospel. And he has a burden to share the gospel for the last minute of his life. I pray that we all will experience the power of the gospel as John Harper did. And we all have that burden to share the gospel. Imagine that every one of us knows the power of the gospel and has that burden. How will our church look like? And how will this community look like? Our community needs the gospel. And if all of us experience that part of the gospel, and all of, all of us has that burden to preach the gospel, I believe many more people will hear the gospel, and many more people will be saved. And I believe our church will be different. Will be a vibrant community full of life. May God give us a heart for souls. And may God help us to be eager to share the gospel. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you that you come to earth and died for us on the cross and rise again on the third day to save us sinners, to deliver us from the judgment of God and to give us new life, to restore us the beauty the glory that you intended for every one of us. We thank you and we praise you. Lord, help us that we truly turn from sin and turn to you. That we fully believe and trust in you. And that we commit our life to you. So that we may experience more of the power of the gospel in our life. 
And then we may have this desire, this eagerness to share the gospel to the one we love, to our relatives, to our friends. That you bring life to our church. Lord, in our lives, we also may face difficulties and challenges. And help us to fix our eyes on you. To fix our eyes on the power of the gospel. And to focus on the mission that you want every one of us to carry out. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.